liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Happy anniversary, you mother... All right, sorry. I'm, I get pumped up on January 6th. Uh, the most disappointing insurrection that's ever ever occurred. Um, this is Clint Russell, host of Liberty Lockdown. Thank you for joining us once again. Today, we're going to have on Jordan Jackdell. Uh, he is one of the rare independent reporters that seems to align with me politically, uh, at least to a large extent. I won't put words in his mouth or put him on a terrorist watch list. Um, he is a writer for The Dossier over on Substack. I think this will be a great conversation. His most recent piece was on Biden's vacation in the Virgin Islands and how, coincidentally, once again, an AG was fired as they were trying to uncover some things that were occurring with uh, the Epstein case and the finances and whether or not J.P. Morgan or who knew. It's all crazy and interesting. So I'll bring him in in just a sec. Uh, just want to thank you guys again. Uh, Dr. Ladapo, Joseph Ladapo, the attorney, or excuse me, Surgeon General of Florida will be on on Monday. Then we have Alex Gladstein and uh, on Wednesday on libertylockdown.locals.com. I will be doing an AMA where you guys can come in on stream with me. Um, the guest list is insane. Obviously, January 17th, I will be on Timcast IRL. And uh, do not miss that. Make sure you're in the chat. Let them know there are some people that watch this show. And you want to see me on there as often as possible. Thank you very much. Without further ado, Jordan Jacktel. Thank you for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously the corporate media is not going to cover this story, so I don't have much choice, man. <laughs> we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta have somebody that's that's willing to uh, to discuss these things. Um, it didn't didn't seem like you came to a firm conclusion on it, and I don't blame you. I mean, you're being a uh, a good investigative reporter as, as opposed to a sensationalist one. But if you could just tell, like recap the story here for us so that we can uh, see if there's smoke to this fire. Yeah, sure. So um, the most recent component of this story is probably the most important. So we'll start on December 27th, the AG of the Virgin islands, which is where Jeffrey Epstein had his Island um, territory she, on December 27th, 2022, so just a week ago, basically a little over a week ago, she sues J.P. Morgan in a Manhattan federal court because as a federal prosecutor, um, you know, Virgin Islands, U.S. territory, she has jurisdiction. So sues J.P. Morgan in a federal court in Manhattan, makes a big scene. Um, and remember, December 27th was also the day that Joe Biden arrives in the Virgin Islands for his vacation. Um, This is a Democrat AG appointed by a Democrat governor of the Virgin Islands. Um, New Year's Eve comes around and there's like these weird reports basically on Twitter that the AG has now been fired. (laughs) A very strange day to to fire an AG if you want to, um, you know, be transparent about things. Right. Um, So the Virgin Islands press on New Year's Day gets to the governor's office and basically they're like, what, what just happened? Why'd you fire the AG? Uh, no comment. It's now January 6th and we still have no comment from the governor. We still have not seen the AG surface. I'm not going to say that she's been Epstein, but <laughs> certainly she is not one to want to walk in front of a camera crew right now. It's totally bizarre. And, and I think the context of this that's important that sets up the possibility of a quid pro quo is that the Virgin Islands, the U S Virgin Islands is very heavily leveraged against itself. It relies completely upon handouts from the U S government, be the taxpayer to the tune of billions of dollars every year. They have these ridiculous solar projects that they're trying to use to run the country's energy resources on. And, you know, as you and your listeners probably know, Solar is very unreliable, expensive, not cost beneficial. You need a giant subsidiary to basically bail you out when you're using solar. So the AG of the Virgin Islands, not the AG, the governor of the Virgin Islands, a Democrat by the name of Albert Bryan, has been spending the past few months in Washington, D.C. 
lobbying for the Virgin Islands to get these handouts so he can basically, you know, so the Virgin Islands can, can eat, <laughs> basically. So it, it, with those two things happening at the same time, um, it, it seems to me that there's an indication of a quid pro quo, but it doesn't, it's not clear, like, what side is it on? Is it like the AG and the governor of the Virgin Islands working together to try to get money? Or is it perhaps the Biden administration telling them like, hey, you know, similar to the Zelensky prosecutor situation where it's, it's like, hey, if you want the money, you're going to have to do this and fire the prosecutor. So yeah. I'm not exactly sure what side of the fence it is, but it's certainly suspect. I mean, if you go on the Virgin Islands DOJ website right now, her, her, her face is still up on the page, you know, so it's, it's clearly... Clearly something happened that was not planned and it's a very bizarre situation. Yeah. Well, I think it was Victor Shokin um, in Ukraine who was like the anti-corruption investigator and he got mm -hmm. fired and it was at the explicit, proud, braggadocious proclamation of Joe Biden that he was fired. Uh, so the reason that I think that this is worth continuing to doggedly report on is because Biden has a track record of this shit. This is what he does. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that that's the case here, uh, but the fact that, I mean, you're in your piece said in the lawsuit she filed against J.P. Morgan, the AG claimed that her investigation revealed J.P. Morgan knowingly, negligently and unlawfully provided and pulled the levers through which recruiters and victims were paid and was indispensable to the operation and concealment of the Epstein trafficking enterprise. Uh, that's a big claim. You know, that's something that, I would like to get to the bottom of, I think that's how most people feel. And particularly because we have not uh, been told the truth. We haven't got the, uh, the client list when it comes to Epstein. There's a, there's a lot of uh, confusion, anger, people that just want justice for these young victims. And uh, when you see this type of behavior, it, it just starts to send up all sorts of red flags that, that perhaps, this is a continuation of a cover-up that has been going on for a very long time. I, I'm sure you you've dug deep enough to have your own skepticism when it comes to the uh, the Epstein case and and whether or not he was working as either a CIA op or or Mossad op. Uh, do you have any opinion on that? Um, so, given that there's such a lack of open source information i mean my guess is that um given the evidence is that he was probably i mean this is kind of like how the u.s intelligence community operates when they find someone who can um really um provide information. reputation they <laughs> yes. instead of you know sending this person to jail it, even if they've committed heinous acts They'd rather use them as an asset to further corrupt other people. So it definitely seems like the Epstein situation was guided or advanced by government actors. Um, and it was certainly very successful. And, and you're right, it, it is strange that no one really seems, except for Miss Maxwell, no one is in prison who was, you know, this was not just a two person network. This was no. And, and this is why I think the JP Morgan thing is important because while the allegations were very public against Epstein, they continue to facilitate his enterprises and give him loans and, you know, right. use, they were, he was using them for banking and he knew a lot of their senior executives who were very friendly with him. And JP Morgan, of course, is a massive uh, financial institution, which has a lot of pull with the federal government. Yes. So um, this would be a hugely embarrassing lawsuit for them. And, and just, um, in early December, the AG of the Virgin Islands settled with Epstein's estate um, in the Virgin Islands, and they secured like $100 million out of it, and then half the proceeds of the sale of Epstein Island into the treasury of the Virgin Islands. So they got a lot of money out of him. So I think, you know, although this is a civil lawsuit, um, it would be, be there would be no criminal issue for J.P. Morgan through this lawsuit. But I think it would be hugely embarrassing for their reputation. So I think that's what they're probably worried about. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if, um, you know, th there's clearly, um, you know, Wall Street and Washington are very close to each other, uh, specifically these actors like J.P. Morgan, BlackRock and so and so. 
especially with Democrat administrations. I mean, um, Obama famously was always mentioning Jamie Dimon and, you know, these other Wall Street kingpins. So they're very close to each other. So if you make a phone call and, you know, you have a hundred max donors on your roster, in addition to all this dark money coming through and you ask for something like fire the prosecutor, they're probably going to make that happen for you. Absolutely. I mean, it would be so naive not to believe that they have that that power. Uh, they have far greater power, in my opinion. And and when it comes to the uh, the big banking lobbyist cartel, like, of course, of course, if J.P. Morgan, uh, if Jamie Dimon calls up the Biden administration and says, hey, uh, this AG is going to really ruin our <laughs> our bottom line for the first quarter of 2023 with mm -hmm. this uh, this investigation and we just don't want it. Well, then she's gone. And and, you know, it's oftentimes the cover up is worse than the crime. So, like, I'm not even saying that necessarily they're firing her because ultimately this will in in some way uncover Epstein's connection to the U.S. government. Like maybe not. Maybe that's not what this is a cover up of. Maybe it's just as simple as as, uh, you know, our our congressional and our highest level of uh, leadership is ultimately really just part and parcel or owned by by Wall Street. And I think most people think that's the case. Uh, speaking of politicians that are owned by Wall Street, I'd like to get your take on the latest. I, I actually haven't been following it today. Do we have a, uh, a conclusion to the dramatic decision on McCarthy as speaker? Um, as, as far as I've seen, there was a misguided report that came out that he had struck a deal with the Freedom Caucus, but they're still negotiating. Um, so from what I've heard, and I lived in D.C. for eight years, so I'm pretty well connected there um, and, you know, worked with these animals uh, on Capitol Hill for a long time. But um, I, I think that the, the Freedom Caucus is trying to extract maximum concessions from McCarthy they went from basically being um, uh, totally ignored to, you know, McCarthy's a guy who's desperate for power. Um, so they're trying to kind of leverage that against him. And I think it's working somewhat successfully. So my guess is that they'll probably have a deal done by the end of the day mm -hmm. or perhaps, you know, by early next week. But it seems like they've calculated that basically he's the guy because they can, uh, you know, corrupt him in the direction of, uh, you know, transparency and freedom, um, more so than a guy like Steve Scalise, who might have a marginally better voting record, but who has like his guys that he wouldn't. Um, Steve Scalise is the House Majority Leader, so he would be probably the next man up if McCart if these holdouts refused and um, he they would nominate him next. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess they've calculated that McCarthy's an easier guy to work with, but they want a lot of concessions with him from him. Um, you know, my preference would be that they just, they vote for speaker forever and they're unable to pass any bills or do anything. But uh, I think that, you know, these elected representatives don't want to do that. So uh, just realistically speaking, I think that's probably what's going to happen is very soon. They'll probably make a deal. Why is it that they wouldn't just continue to hold out? Is it, is there a real danger of, Democrats coming to the other side to to ultimately usher McCarthy in because like if if it were if I were one of them if I didn't think that was a possibility I would just sit tight I would just spend the next month embarrassing this dude until ultimately someone that I actually think believes in the constitution <laughs> and uh defunding the FBI and investigating the the covid hysteria and everything else you know like I would try and get my entire list of things so is that is that the danger? Is that the Democrats come across and usher him in? Yeah, it's an interesting um, perspective play, but uh, I think it would be more politically destructive for a Republican to bring in you know Democrat votes than for McCarthy to bring in um, Freedom Caucus votes. So I think that they're just kind of calculating that that is the better strategy. And that there's kind of like a time horizon through which like things can get really ugly and they can lose their leverage. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but no, I, I agree with you. I think that like basically um, these people are so outnumbered in Congress that they just it, it would basically be impossible right now, given the numbers to have like a 
constitutionalist uh, speaker of the house, you know, there's like, there's 535 people in Congress and far fewer than a hundred, um, I think are committed to human freedom. So we're, we're, we're way under 20%. We're probably under 10%. Um, so at least, you know, their argument basically is that they will, um, you know, create uh, a big mark on Congress if they can successfully negotiate this. Okay. Well, you know, any, any progress that they can make with these, this holdout, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, as you said, <laughs> I would rather they never pass another law again. So uh, I just want to make sure that, like, this is exactly what uh, Jimmy Dore was hoping that the squad would do when they were trying to, you know, usher in Pelosi was like force the vote and, and they all fucking acquiesced because yeah. they're, I mean, they're, they're frauds. Like the Democrats have a much better system in place. Like say Republicans are atrocious, but at least like, um, there are some independent Republicans, right. um, like that, you know, there's a probably a couple dozen of them that are super solid in Congress. Um, the Democrats from recruitment to campaigning, to their election, to their seat. It, it's very carefully crafted. Like I, I think a person like AOC um, was chosen for a specific reason. And the idea that like any of these people will, well, Pelosi's gone, but they would have like stood up to Pelosi. I don't think that they had any chance. Just the Democrats have it really um, put together with their authoritarian model. Yeah, it's, it's a machine. Um, I wanted to ask you about Thomas Massey. He's he's been my favorite congressman. I'm extraordinarily concerned that he is not one of the 20 holdouts. Uh, do you have any information as to why, what he has been offered, anything like that? Yeah, I, I think that um, the Massey situation is complicated. Um, he has, I think, felt like he, he should have been. So, so the Massey thing with the Freedom Caucus goes back quite some time. Um, when he was fighting against John Boehner and Paul Ryan um, and succeeding, he wasn't really rewarded with the proper leadership position. So mm -hmm. he feels like he was kind of screwed over. So I think it's maybe just like a personal thing. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, mm -hmm. but that's what it seems like. He's like, you know, last time I did this, we got nothing done. So, so whatever, like, I'm just going to go along with it. And from what I understand from people that are um, somewhat close to Massey is that he feels that working, he can work with McCarthy because like he just knows how to work the system in a way that'll be advantageous for, you know, liberty minded people. So, okay. I mean, if, if I, I, like Massey really understands the system and, you know, his track record speaks for itself. So I guess I just got to, um, I, I might, you know, disagree uh, again. Like, I think I'm with you where it's just like, let's just burn this thing down. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, figure it out from there. But I, I think that, you know, he just wants to, uh, he thinks that this is the best way to play the game. So yeah, all power well, that, to that, that was my uh, assumption, but I just wanted to mm -hmm. get it from someone who has a little bit more inside information and, um, you know, from my from my vantage point, what I would like to see is Massey, uh, you know, extracting from them from McCarthy like uh, an appointment towards either the Fauci investigation or the FBI uh, investigation, defunding whatever uh, the actual the real January sixth investigation. Something, you know, like get get me something, get me someone that I can actually trust that will be involved with that. And it just seems like he's. I don't think that he's using his leverage properly. This is a, uh, I guess this is more of a gambler's uh, discussion than it is a, uh, a principal one, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he, yeah. maybe he already has his concessions or perhaps he just really believes that, that he can, um, you know, finagle and, and work with McCarthy. I guess time yeah, will tell. It's interesting that um, we're talking on the anniversary of January 6th. I just saw yesterday that the FBI has a, uh, increase the reward for uh, whoever can discover the pipe bomber to uh, $500,000. They did so, that just you know, yesterday. Have a location for them. Hopefully they can, they can find this guy and give you a reward. They, wait, did they do that just yesterday? They upped it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're two years. It's two years later. What the hell? Um, do you have, do you have any opinion on that, man? Cause like that, I think that's such a, 
that's the one thing that like really rubs people the wrong way is that you have an 18 month long investigation into this day and you can't come up with like even a suspect for the guy who yeah. actually planted what would have been catast catastrophic if it had gone off if it was if it's even real i don't even know yeah the only explanation and i think um darren at revolver has done some good work on this and some yes, other people but the only thing that really makes sense to me is that it was an inside job i mean and i don't think there was even a bomb i think it was just basically a, a toy and uh it was just part of this um the federal government's involvement in january 6th it seems it seems like there was a lot going on there with these informants too you know like these ray epps figures and the um, they were certainly aware that this there was going to be a big protest, and I think that they were probably purposely trying to make it go out of control. I mean, I'm not saying that nobody did anything wrong that day. Like the the people who were like fighting uh, Capitol Police and stuff like that. Like I obviously sure. don't think that that is um, probably the best idea, especially you know the idea that you're going to like go into the Capitol and somehow turn government around um, <laughs> right. and there's a lot of blame to go around for like this misguided like I'm all for protesting and like you know doing what you can without violence to uh, make change but this was just like very misguided and kind of it seemed that there were a lot of federal forces who were fanning the flames purposely to make this thing get out of control. And that's exactly what happened. But the pipe bomber thing is very strange. Um, DC has probably like a million cameras in the city <laughs> and on that block. So, so the idea that they don't know, and, and like, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty well aware of the capabilities when it comes to um, surveillance and uh, recognition and all these important things and like, how you can track a suspect from one camera to a, you know, a GPS signal to satellite to, to all these, you know, phone towers. And there, there's so many ways to track someone down. I just don't believe that they didn't track this person down. Um, so it's just a very strange situation. They, tr they tracked little old ladies down that weren't doing anything. Like you, <laughs> but the person that you think actually planted a bomb on the, like the, probably the most surveilled, you know, quarter mile in all of the country like and they can't yeah. figure this out come on man come on i like no no one buys this story no one that's even slightly rationally thinking buys that this isn't been and and if that's and if you haven't figured it out well then abolish the fbi you're fucking worthless <laughs> like yeah. this is this is the <laughs> yeah, one job that you guys should have Great. yeah and, and it's just um you know, when, when you look back at all these other mass casualty incidents in the United States, there's always like this weird situation that comes up. It's like, oh, wait, the, the shooter bought these guns in like the sketchy way from a federal informant. And then the FBI is like, yeah, sorry, guys, we just uh, will never find out what happened. Uh, case closed. <laughs> <laughs> he was on our radar, but he just slipped yeah. through the cracks. And then he unfortunately did exactly what we hoped he would. And now we have this new. Uh, domestic homegrown extremist domestic dbe uh bill that mm -hmm. uh, we're going to roll out i honestly like that's that's i know i know this is a you know fringe conspiracy theorist type idea but a lot of people believe it is that it appears that they're they want there to be a domestic violent extremist element in this country that doesn't really exist they also want there to be a white supremacist uh element that doesn't really exist uh, or at least not to any significant magnitude, and and they're trying to essentially concoct it so that then, then they can have justification for bringing the Patriot Act home. I mean, that's that's what my read is of it. I, I'm just curious if you am I crazy? Yeah, I, I think that that's one element for sure. Is that they are way overestimating this, like you know, white nationalist, white supremacist threat, and I think that a lot of them have been exposed as feds in federal proceedings yeah um, but what is also kind of like on the other thing with the fbi is that they are so politicized and um beholden to government doctrine that there are certain groups now um specifically like these black nationalist groups would tend to be a lot more violent 
um, like with their behavior in New York City, especially that are actively committed crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the FBI is just like so wokeified now that there are certain groups that they are not allowed to really prosecute. Law enforcement agency, which I don't think that like, I don't understand what's the point of the FBI in today's America, but that's a whole nother thing, but they are subject to like government politically correct doctrine and white supremacy is like, you know, everybody's enemy nowadays. So they're basically like creating um, a justifiable target. And because there are not enough white supremacists in America, it seems like they're just trying to create as many as possible. Yeah. Um, again, to probably uh, try to shudder our liberties because it seems yeah. that they are just hell bent on that um, side of the operation. That's that's the vibe I get, man. And, you know, I I've been researching this in an in-depth fashion for over two years now since I started my show. And, um, you know, day one of Biden's presidency he comes out with a, a memo essentially saying that that's going to be their new focus. And it's yeah. just it's just so concocted. It's just so fake. I mean, it's just fake that like if you actually look at hate crimes in America, which I don't even believe in, like hate crime laws, I think it's absurd. If you hurt someone in a violent fashion, you should go to prison. But uh, I'm not so interested in you know whether or not the assailant is white or black or whatever. Um, but that's, that seems as if that's what they're trying to do is create, um, and, and, and this is what's so disappointing to me is, you know, when you go down this path, I think it foments racial divisions. Yeah. I, I think I, I really do. I feel like it divides us. I think it ultimately, it starts to create people that start to have a more identitarian mindset where like white people feel like, oh, okay, well, if the government is out to get me, well, then I'm going to band together with other white people. And it's like, is that what you want? Do you want that to be the outcome? Because that seems like a terrible idea, especially if we're trying to get past that moment in our history. Um, it just makes me sad. I don't know. Any comments on that? Yeah, no, no, no. I agree. It serves as kind of like an ideological Streisand effect where yes, yes. Um, well said. these people have legitimate grievances and their solutions to these grievances are extremely <laughs> misguided. Um, But the problem is that, you know, they can show that they have legitimate grievances. So it attracts recruitment, whereas, um, you know, when there's some issues that you can't talk about in the open, it tends to breed, you know, kind of like these radical ideologies that you see pop up basically every election cycle. Um, And then next thing you know, you'll have like, uh, you know, all these frogs on Twitter with like Nazi symbols and shit. And I want exactly. to have less of that, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, the, but it just, it really does seem like that's, that's kind of the inevitable conclusion of the trajectory of things. And um, I think it's very dangerous, but I, I also, I mean, this is, this is why I'm rooting so hard for the freedom caucus or the 20, the 20 holdouts or however many are left. Um, it's because I, I really think that like the FBI, even though, I think it's unconstitutional. I don't think it, I think it's been evil and terrible and nefarious since its inception. But in the past couple of years, it has been particularly insane. Um, I really want to see them extract concessions when it comes to defunding and ultimately abolishing the FBI. It's clear to me that there's no political will for that. Despite the fact that you have a concocted Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case, you have, um, you know, the, the treatment of the January 6th protesters, uh, there's so many examples of the the FBI's corruption. Uh, obviously, you have what they did to Martin Luther King Jr. At a minimum, sending him death threats and and pleading with him to kill himself over his infidelity, all the way up to perhaps actually murdering him. Um, you have many other examples of you know civil rights leaders that it could be argued probably were taken out by the FBI as well. Uh, First off, am I overstating any of that? Do you think I'm crazy? And uh, and is the am I wrong to think that there is no political will to ultimately abolish or defund or s- even sincerely reform and investigate the FBI? Yeah, you're on the second part of that question. Um, I think you're right that there's no serious contingent in Congress that wants to eliminate the FBI, oh, man. Um, which I think is necessary. I agree with you. There are. It seems that just 
when Republicans get in office, they just want to control who they appoint to the FBI. And then, of course, they screw that up, you know, with the appointment of like Chris Ray or something like that. Right. It, that, it seems to me that, you know, these coming supposed investigations are just to set a pretext for them to have control over these same institutions, which are growing exponentially, um, that are inherently corrupt and constantly targeting our liberties and constantly taking more and more of it away. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so in terms of these historical incidents, when like big picture um, politicians, celebrities, activists, it, it is interesting to revisit it because so much of the, of what we've, I think exposed, especially like over the COVID hysteria years is that the government will go to great ends to uh, facilitate uh, the expansion of its power. And I think it's, you know, I would have never said this um, even like four or five years ago, but yeah, it's like who else would be, especially like, you know, that there's renewed interest in the JFK assassination. Like who would really be um, potential enemy number one for someone who said that, you know, they want to check, the intelligence community, especially with we saw, which we saw what they, you know, love him or hate him. Like Donald Trump was at least, I think, had the right intentions. And he also came in as a legitimate outsider. And they, you know, spent the his entire four years. Like, I agree that he wasn't um, a soup with a lot of critics who say his presidency wasn't particularly productive. Sure. Um, but a lot of the reason why is because you had the intelligence community trying to destroy him and setting up these soft coup attempts at every turn. I mean, six they, ways they, from Sunday. Point. Sorry, six ways from Sunday. Yes, yeah. uh, I forget which Chuck Schumer quote. <laughs> yeah, Chuck Schumer. They can destroy you six ways to Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, it, it's like looking back on it, it's unbelievable what they did to him. They did everything short of assassinating him, and I'm yeah. sure there's probably plans for that too. So it's like okay, so these historical figures um, who got on the wrong side of these super powerful agencies. Like, I don't see why it should be dismissed. I don't have evidence that, but I also don't know, like when you look at the official storyline and the narratives, there's a lot of holes in them. So Mm -hmm. it's worth examining for sure. Yeah. Well, Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s children uh, in a civil lawsuit, Receipt. I mean, they they got the conviction, uh, like th- that the FBI was involved in the the murder of their father. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in the 1990s. So, you know, I'm not saying that it, that I I could prove it. Like I can't prove it personally. But there is a lot of smoke. Uh, whether or not there's fire, I would argue there probably is. And I, I think that when it comes to uh, to JFK, you know, whether it was the FBI or the CIA, whatever, this is why we've kind of put that umbrella label of deep state on this stuff. Uh, I think that. I think that we have a unelected bureaucracy that uh, that functions in secrecy and like there's no one that's uh, that's brave enough to challenge it in in DC and you know I think mm-hmm. that Trump Trump was the type of kind of loose cannon that that could have potentially um and I think that he failed in that endeavor and ultimately I think you know after after he permitted for lockdowns and he allowed for Fauci and Burks and all these other lunatics to fucking destroy the world um his his second term was doa um but that, that's that's my read of it do you think actually i ask your opinion do you think because uh, from a uh you know just outsider twitter type guy it, it seems as if the 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 populist movement is no longer really with trump that's that's the vibe i get um but i could be wrong what do you think yeah i, I think that there's probably um there's definitely a building ideological separation and you're seeing that in the speaker fight where Trump strongly endorsed McCarthy and then the people that were once like his greatest allies and supporters were like, yeah, that's great, but we're going to, we're going to do our own thing here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think that there is definitely a separation. Um, and, and I agree that the, um, you know, the, the COVID, the, the 20, the early 2020 um, period was, was so critical that he um, handed over basically the country for several months 
while they were making political calculations about what to do about it. And I remember talking to um, people in the White House that I was like, hey, you know, you got to um, get rid of Fauci and get rid of Burks. Like they're not on your side. And there was like kind of like this, oh, yeah, we agree. But like, you know, it's the elections coming up and a lot of people like Fauci. It's like, all right, you know, your presidency and then the rest is future, basically. So Man. the rest is history. Yeah, but, that, um, was, that was a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, it was devastating. It, it allowed for, you know, even further corruption and fraud in our system through this mail-in ballot and the, the vote harvesting. And, you know, Bingo. when, you, when the, the further you separate the, the process from the individual and from the actual voting booth, is, you know, it creates chaos. And I don't want to make a comment on whether or not, you know, how fraudulent the process is. But it creates an opening for fraudulent behavior. Yeah. Well, I mean, just consider for a second that that Trump, as top ex- executive, he could have, if he if he had been awake enough, he could have been investigating and cutting out HHS, CDC, DHS, FBI, CIA, all of the uh, the entities that were sending over uh, basically censorship requests clear 1a violations to big tech you know across the board uh during that period they like people like the trump supporters in particular they focus way too much on the actual election they don't focus nearly enough on the the deep state infrastructure that ultimately enabled a propagandistic push to usher biden into the presidency whether or not the elections were completely on the level and legitimate like maybe they were i don't think so but that's not the point um like it was stolen via that like that's really that's really how the narrative was set was that you had all of his supporters were getting banned by the thousands it's like well okay now you now you start to put the pieces together but trump just sat there didn't he i mean is he just is he just not bright enough to do this is he or is like everyone always wonders if he's controlled opposition i tend to think he's just not that bright but that's my read i don't know yeah i think he just couldn't get a handle on the situation your um your thesis is is interesting it it, um it reflects what uh molly hemingway said she Mm -hmm. wrote a book called uh rigged basically and like this was really how the election was stolen before the voting even happened is, you know, they had these campaigns that sabotaged the president or, you know, like with the Hunter Biden laptop where they made sure that that didn't come out and called it, you know, Russia propaganda. It was, it was a a disinformation campaign that was waged by uh, big tech and components through components of the U S intelligence community, which of course is supposed to be, appointed its executives are supposed to be appointed by the president so this is where the personnel issue really came to destroy him he never got i mean so the argument on the other side of course is that the administrative state the deep state whatever you want to call it is so big and out of control that you'll never get a hold of these um agencies and that's why they need to be destroyed right yes. so like there you go. You kind of got to make up your mind. Like, was was President Trump um, incompetent, or does he not see the bigger picture? And I think both of those are very valid um, uh, arguments against you know his process. And I think hopefully the you know a, a, another leader can perhaps learn from the shortcomings of that administration. Um, it's it, it'll be interesting to see who actually runs. Like I think that DeSantis is really leaning into it, and uh, Trump has said that he's running for president. I'm not convinced that he's so committed to it, yeah. but it, it's. It, I think it's probably one of those two guys. Uh, I don't really see any of the other contenders as legitimate, but um, yeah, think, it, it should be interesting. But I, I, I agree with you for sure. Yeah, I think I think DeSantis is the guy. Um, I you know I'll just be blunt. I don't trust him. You know, even though I, I moved from California to Florida to to be under his governorship, I really appreciated his uh, his leadership during COVID. I obviously on Monday I have on Dr. Uh, Latipo and I'm I mispronounced it earlier. I keep doing that. Um, I, I'm a big fan of living here. And I just do not trust that guy when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, and ultimately, like, I don't know. Like, even though I think he's he's a far more shrewd politician, I think that 
he could actually learn the lessons from the Trump administration and go in there and be exactly what I want to see in the world. Like he could do that, but I don't think he will. Um, what do you think? Um, I think what's encouraging about DeSantis is that he's really focused on Florida right now, which I think as president could indicate that he'll be focused on the country. Um, you know, like my background's in foreign policy. And I, I think that a lot of people who kind of like get it now realize that foreign policy is not important when you're, well, it's, it's not as consequential as it would be if your if your country was in a strong position, had its affairs in order, and then you decide what you're going to do, you know, with relations with other countries. The problem is that our our, our country is in such a state of insanity and right. um, civilizational Collapse. disrepair <laughs> that you know you can't really talk. So, it, it it's kind of like you need to get your house in order first. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, that one of the redeeming qualities about Donald Trump is that, you know, at least for all like the domestic stuff that would, cause kind of like misguided, I, I think that he's kind of like has this instinct that he's a non-interventionist and he wants to like, you know, all I ask of the president these days is like, don't have us blown up in a thermonuclear war, you know, with Russia or China. Yeah, and, and Biden can't that, even fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that Democrat presidents, um, what will Republicans do? I mean, Bush was atrocious. No, um, I know, I know. I'm saying the nuclear war. Like, we didn't really risk that with Bush, even though Bush killed yeah. way more people. Bush just wanted to uh, murder millions of people. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, right. It was, it it's was hard a huge to even, like, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to joke about it, but it, I'm joking about like how ridiculous it is. Like, what we've been doing overseas yeah. i'm not joking about the of course the of course I mean, is, is a tragedy, we're but... laughing at what our what our choices are it's like yeah it's like do you have neocons or neoliberals it's like oh well that's not a great option yeah but but i think that um DeSantis seems to get it that the country's in a bad place right now so that's that's where i would i guess be encouraged mm -hmm. and then also you know his opponent in trump um like, I, I think that there's a lot of ways, you know, that we, you know, I'm, I'm a big Bitcoiner too. And I, I think that this like kind of decentralization movement and uh, whatever you want to call it, like a soft secession or taking back rights of locals and states is, is super healthy for our republic. Um, and and I, I think that we just need time to do that. And the only thing that would really screw that up is we get dragged into some type of like horrendous conflict. And I think that both DeSantis and Trump will probably keep us out of that. The Biden people seem very hellbent on um, getting us into one of those things. So I, I think that they would at least be better than the alternative. No, I, I tend to agree. Um, it, it's scary times, man. I, I, I ask your opinion on that, actually. I mean, seems to me that the Biden administration and and the deep state, everybody else is basic and, and the media are all all in on a endless uh, proxy war between the, the US and Russia in Ukraine. Um, is that is that a fair assessment? And, and do you think it goes hot? Um, I, I think that uh, the Ukrainian president Zelensky has tried to make it go hot several times. No shit. Um, but yeah, even it, bombed it, Poland a, just to make it go hot. <laughs> it, it's it's fascinating to see this guy's this guy's track record and like people just uh, you know the, I guess the corporate media just doesn't seem to care. Like they know they know what he's doing over there. They they just don't care. But um, I I think that uh, what the Biden administration and the intelligence community wants to do is they kind of like want to set up another Afghanistan, which is basically to it's so unfortunate for Ukrainians because that means that they will be, their country will be the batter, battlefield indefinitely. Yeah. Um, so Afghanistan didn't do that, real, like, didn't do real hot after the 20, 30, yeah. 40 years of war. I mean, come on. Yeah. And it's like, it's interesting. Like this is a common theme with our foreign affairs is that like, whenever we have a giant footprint somewhere, the country doesn't get any better. It's usually 
you know, like look at Somalia. You think they're they're doing great there after after all of our uh, years of presence in Somalia? But it's um, yeah, you, Ukraine's um, in, in bad shape, and, and all the wrong people are in charge. Uh, and I think that this has become a very lucrative business for our military industrial uh, regime. Yeah. So I think that their intention is not necessarily to spark a hot war with Russia. I think that's what you, the Ukrainians want in Kiev um, because they want to get bailed out of this situation. And, you know, they're basically, Zelensky is basically a puppet. Um, but I think that what the people in the intelligence community and the Biden administration want so they want a prolonged war to make everyone happy. <laughs> it's like it's messed up to make it to for it to sound like that, but I think that's probably the the accurate. Oh no, I I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's the it's their donor class that that ultimately uh, benefits, and because of that, their campaigns benefit. Yeah. And and it's I mean yes, it's very it's a very cynical analysis, but it's just it's also accurate. Um, but yeah. here's the here's the issue though, man, and and I'm curious because you said that. You spent a lot of time in the foreign policy realm. Uh, I, I personally believe that this is this is viewed, rightly or wrongly, by Putin as a existential threat to his nation. That if he loses this war on his border, I mean, he he's not long for this earth. He'll probably be taken out by the CIA, or or you know, ultimately end up so pinned down by by NATO that it's like they they become a, a vassal state once again. Um, I think that he views that as a as an outcome that cannot be allowed for, and I am not at all convinced that he will not use nuclear weaponry to make sure that that doesn't become the outcome. Uh, you're, you're right. That, that's the exact problem when you're playing uh, these high-level games um, between two very well-armed nuclear powers, and China's you know sitting on the sidelines right now, but who knows what could happen there. Sure. But you're right. Like When you have... Like it, it's just not clear what the trajectory could be, especially when you have all of these forces sparking these weird false flags. Um, what people I think need to, who read only Western press don't understand because they've been propagandized into believing that like Putin is, um, they, they believe that Putin is isolated because it's just like been shoved down their faces. But actually like, if you look at the independent polling, he's still got like 80% approval rating. So the idea that like you can drag out this war and that somehow there's going to be like a palace coup in the Kremlin and some people are banking on this is is absurd. Like if there was a military coup against Putin right now, the coup would be shut down immediately and those people would not be long for this earth. I mean, he's, (laughs) he's enormously popular in Russia and a lot of this goes back to um, the the ideology uh, ideology of Russian nationalism, and I guess that's for that's for another podcast, and and you know, kind of like national culture and what Putin represents to them in contrast to the Soviet era, and in contrast to um, the '90s and capitalism and all these ideologies and communism, and um, it, it's a complicated mixed bag. But the Russian people, by and large, support Putin. So it's important to recognize that and what it means for all of these crazy people who are saying, you know, it's not enough to stop Putin. We got to start like bombing them and shit. Like that's how you start a nuclear war. Is that like of course. You know, um, Russia, you don't want to put them into such a weak position when you were just mentioning that they only have one option left. That would be horrific for humanity. So I think that the the world is very much transitioning into a multipolar environment where you have countries that used to be associated, particularly with the United States, the U.S. isn't going to be able, I mean, with the monetary situation, isn't going to be able to hold up those fake alliances anymore that don't really have any um, it's going to be impossible to enforce them, whether, whether you you agree or disagree with the policy, like the idea that the U S is going to continue to be able to support Ukraine or sadly Taiwan 
um, there, there's going to be, have to be other actors that are going to get involved. So countries are going to have to do a better job or um, governments in getting along with their neighbors. So that's what I want, I want to encourage and I think would be wise policy to encourage for Ukraine is like, yeah, you have to get you, you have to be cool with NATO, but Russia is right there and Russia's not going anywhere. So the idea you can fight this endless war against Russia is is suicidal, in my view. Yeah, well, and it's not just suicidal for Russia or the US or Ukraine. It's suicidal for everyone on earth. I yeah. mean, it's it's such a big deal. And and I just can't believe that like I, I'll tell you when when Zelensky got invited to fucking Congress and they put up a Ukrainian flag. Like I'm not the most patriotic, like rah, rah, uh, America first guy, but that, that boiled my blood, man. Like to, to see a, another country's flag in my house of representatives. It was like, this is, this feels like we've been conquered almost. Um, I'm just curious if you had a, a similar sensation or if I'm, if I'm overstating it. Yeah, it was it was quite the moment. Um, it really shows that this like kind of like globalist doctrine is is what dominates Washington D.C. Um, and they want to expand this ideology worldwide. And it's it's funny, like you know, Ukraine. It's not funny, but yeah, Ukraine's going through this kind of like ethnic cleansing operation where they're um, they're taking away historical Russian figures and streets names. And replacing them with like, I think there's one that's like now Andy Warhol Street. Oh and, and, and this is what like our our governing regime represents in Washington. And it kind of goes back to this fight over McCarthy. It's all um, overlapping. But it's like, what do you want our country to project? It, it's certainly not, um, you know, the, 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 the flag uh, of Ukraine under its current government and you know, this like uh, the, the, it seems that like as long as you support these particular items, like these forces are going to support you. But it's mm. it, it's all just so bizarre. And yeah, it was it it, it was quite a moment uh, to reflect on like what the heck is going on in our country when you have Pelosi and Kamala holding up this ridiculous flag. Uh, um Really, I mean, I have nothing against Ukrainians, but it, it's, it's not their country, you know. <laughs> so it's, exactly, dude. Yeah. Like, it, look, <clears throat> I like I'm all for if Ukraine ends up being independent at the end of this, I don't care. But also, if if they end up breaking up and the eastern portion becomes, you know, officially Russian, given what Ukraine had been doing and bombing Donbas and other things like that, I'm like, that seems like a fair outcome too. I just don't want to fucking die in nuclear hellfire. Okay, that's that's my ultimate outcome. That's what I want, and I also don't want to, uh, you know, expedite the death of the the U.S. dollar uh, at the behest of a proxy war that could ultimately kill everyone on earth. I mean, this is, it's all so insane. And the, the net benefit, I mean, it strikes me that the only reason to do so is because you're trying to, to maintain the unipolar world order, but more importantly, maintain the U S dollars, uh, you know, reserve currency status globally. And I think that I personally, that's my read of it is that that's ultimately the reason that we're, we're willing to risk nuclear war. Uh, do you think that that's, that plays a role or, or no? Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it that way. That's like these people would risk nuclear war to stay in charge. Like that's that's how power hungry they are. Is that they would they are perfectly okay with the annihilation of humanity um, over losing their seat of power to. And this is why I think what a lot of people miss in the U.S. versus China debate, in my view. Our regime, they love what China is doing, of but they're course. just not in charge over there. Exactly. So it's like, it's exactly. like, we hate you. We can't articulate why. We'll say, <laughs> we'll say freedom and stuff and uh, maybe even like throw the Uyghurs in there, but they don't really care. You know, as, as you saw through the, the COVID hysteria era, they were more than happy to advocate for everything that China was doing. Um, and they loved China's model of... Um, this like fascist 
setup where you control the corporations. And yep. it's exactly what our, you know, with these Twitter files, what it has shown is that it's the same playbook. The only thing that the our regime doesn't like is that Xi Jinping and the Communist Party are in control of China and they're not, you know, so it's <laughs> like, it, I, I wish that more people realize that it's like our critique, there are plenty of critiques to go around about China. And it's very similar. It, it's probably still much worse than what our government is doing in terms of like curtailing freedoms. But like that, they view that as the roadmap. Like that's not the problem. It's the roadmap. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I, they don't view China or the, they don't view the CCP as an enemy. They view it as a, a, a model <laughs> to emulate, but also a competitor to their, their similar drives, you know, their similar preferred outcomes that they, they end up being, you know, the technocratic, uh panopticon controllers as opposed to the ccp being it uh, it's it's really disturbing that like those are the two major superpowers and neither of them really have a, a significant ultimate ideological differentiation like it, it seems as if they really do um really envy the the control that they have over their people but uh, ironically um i think that china and the us are are both on the precipice of of significant economic turmoil and and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're getting away from free market capitalism that we're we're ultimately becoming so crony in nature uh so so fiat fueled so central bank ran and operated um i think that that both both countries are are arguably not long for this world it just comes down to the thucydides trap and whether or not we end up uh going to war before we decide who's going to be the leader um Anyways, if you got any other final comments, uh, otherwise we'll we'll get out of here. I've really appreciated this, by the way. I I feel like you're you're my more uh, libertarian leaning Glenn Greenwald, so I, I appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thanks. Well, Glenn's more of like a I guess like a democratic uh, libertarian or whatever. Exactly. Actually, I think he doesn't like being called libertarian, but no, yeah, I appreciate. I'm sure he would it. hate and, that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's great talking to you, and I you know I always enjoy talking to people who like really. Um, are, are genuinely open-minded about these issues, like willing to listen to other perspectives. And I think we need, we need more of that. Like, I'm happy to talk to anyone that isn't like hardened in there. I mean, unless you have all the facts lined up that but just, like, people that are willing to like accept that probably the best idea is to give people more Liberty in this country. And then like, we can figure out the rest, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good wide-ranging conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, brother. Jordan Schechtel, everybody go over to Substack and uh, subscribe. It is the dossier, and uh, he does great great investigative reporting. We need more people like you on this planet, brother. So uh, keep going. Uh, take no small aircrafts and uh, <laughs> <laughs> stay, stay alive. Stay alive. Um, any, any other uh, information for people to follow? Yeah, so all my best work, you just go to dossier.substack.com and, and you can find all of that over there. Excellent. If you guys have enjoyed this conversation, please hit that like button. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe before you head out of here and leave a comment to help with the algos. We are, wait for it, wait for it, out. <laughs>
must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip a 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe